That's how it should be in the church itself, whether it was I or they. Quite often, a lot of ministers, musicians, they're kind of caught up on the I. It's got to be me. I need to be the one who leads that individual to Christ. God, why did you let them do that? Well, whether it was they or I, whether it was you or happens to be me, if we bring someone into saving faith of Jesus Christ, then we should all glorify in that. Give praise to God for the work that he has done. No matter who is the servant and the tool that God might use, the instrument that God might use to bring someone to life-saving faith. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Well, today we're going to look at a passage that I entitled Christ, the First Fruits. I just stole that title from Paul's writing, so he came up with it first. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 26, and we're going to see in verses 1 through 11, the gospel. In verses 12 through 19, the risen Christ, our hope, and Christ, the first fruits, verses 20 through 26. And Father, I pray your blessing upon the teaching of your word today. Though penned nearly 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul, Father, this is a great testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of the truth that Christ is our first fruits. So, Lord, let us hear today what the Spirit is saying to the church, to this church. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. He said in verses 9 through 11, I am least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. That's how it should be in the church itself, whether it was I or they. Quite often, a lot of Ministers, musicians, they're kind of caught up on the I. It's got to be me. I need to be the one who leads that individual to Christ. God, why did you let them do that? 
Well, whether it was they or I, whether it was you or happens to be me, if we bring someone into saving faith of Jesus Christ, then we should all glorify in that. Give praise to God for the work that he has done. No matter who is the servant and the tool that God might use, the instrument that God might use to bring someone to life-saving faith. But it shouldn't matter the who, but what is happening, who's getting saved. That's what's important. And Paul recognized that. He considered himself the least of all the apostles. In fact, he took it a step further in Ephesians 3.8, he said to me, who am less than the least of all the apostles. So here in Corinthians, he described himself as the least of all the apostles. In Ephesians 3.8, he said, I'm even less than the least. If the least isn't low enough, let's go a little lower. Paul said, that's me. Yet to this grace was given me that I should preach the gospel to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. In comparison to all the believers who had ever lived or were living at that time, Paul felt that he was less than all the least of the saints. And there's base, two basic reasons why he felt this way. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he said, because I persecuted the church of God. In 1 Timothy 1, 15, he described himself as the chief of sinners. Paul never forgot how the Lord had blinded him there on the road to Damascus for three days. The very last image, that's how I would understand this. Have you ever been, had such a bright light shine in your eyes that when you close your eyes, it's kind of all you ever see for a little while is that light, the image of the light. That's what I imagine took place with Paul. He was blinded by the light of Jesus Christ. And I believe for three days, all this man could see that had once fought against Christ. All he could see was the image of Christ before him. And so finally, Aeneas came and laid hands on him, and something like scales failed from his eyes. On that day, the scales of hypocrisy and self-righteousness fell from Paul's eyes, and he understood his own sinfulness. And on that day forward, Paul understood the wonderful grace of God as well. The entirety of our faith hinges upon Jesus' sinless sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection, which is a foundational principle upon which we build our lives. But secondly, we find that Christ has risen. The risen Christ is our hope. Verses 12 through 19, he says, Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also vain. Yes, if we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise, in fact, if the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life we have hope in Christ only. 
we are of all men the most pitiable. The risen Christ is our hope. Everything hinges upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, if Christ is not risen, then he is still in the grave and he has gone the way of every single man and woman and boy and girl that has lived upon this earth who have passed from this earth. We die and we are buried and that's where we remain in the flesh. But Christ died and he was buried and on the third day he rose again. But apparently some of the Corinthian believers had come to believe that there was no resurrection. This might be because in Corinth it was the center of Epicurean philosophy that taught that there was no eternity. Therefore, man should eat, drink, and be merry on this earth. There are a number of people today that live by the same philosophy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Get the most gusto out of this life because this is all that you're going to get. And yet, according to the scriptures, our Christianity and the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ specifically, it goes hand in hand. And Paul gives us three principles of the gospel that Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And yet, without the keystone of the resurrection, our faith in Christ could not stand. This is because everybody who dies is buried, but only Jesus Christ has resurrected from the grave to live forevermore. In 1 Peter 1.3, it tells us, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to the abundance of his mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is a living hope that Christ Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He argues there in verses 14 through 19, if the dead do not rise, he first of all says that if Christ is not risen, then all preaching, all faith would be empty. This word for empty, in the Greek it refers to a vessel that contains nothing. But metaphorically it would speak about our endeavors, our labors, our acts, that they would be vain, that they would be fruitless, they would be without effect if Christ is not risen then all preaching, all faith, it would be empty. It would be fruitless. It would have no true impact. Second, if Christ is not risen, then all preachers and believers would be declared false witnesses for having testified about the resurrection. These false witnesses, it speaks of in the Greek, of a lying or false witness. Third, if the dead do not rise, Jesus then is not risen and our faith is futile. A Greek word that refers to uh, being deceptive or pointless. Our faith would be totally pointless if Christ is not risen from the grave. Fourth, he argues if Christ is not risen, then we are still in our sins. The Greek word for sin is harmatia, and it means to miss the mark. And if we are still in our sins, then there is no hope for forgiveness if Christ is not risen. Fifth, if Christ is not risen, then all those who have died, then they have perished. 
That Greek word for perish there refers to destroy utterly. Metaphorically, it would refer to the loss of eternal life. That there is no eternal life then if Christ has not risen. Sixth, if Christ has not risen of all the people of the earth, then we as Christians are those who would be most pitied. It's basically just a word that would say that we are deserving of pity in view of our miserable condition that we find ourselves in. Understand, in verse 19, he says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of of all men the most pitiable. Faith is not only about a better quality of life while we live upon this earth. It is finding peace with God by attaining forgiveness of our sin through faith in his son, God's son, our savior, Jesus Christ. And by doing so, we ensure our heavenly destination. It is not simply about the here and now, it's about the there and then. In Colossians 1 verses 3 through 6, it says, We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid upon you in heaven, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before the word of the truth of the gospel. They had heard the truth of the gospel being presented to them. And now they have this hope in Jesus Christ that's laid up for them, before them, in heaven, which this hope now had come to them, according to Colossians 1, verses 3 through 6. It had come to them, as it had also come to all who had believed throughout the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is among you since the day you heard it and knew of the grace of God's truth. Our hope in Christ is not merely for this life, but it is also for our future reward. And finally, Christ the first fruits. In verses 20 through 26, the context tells us, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, afterwards those who are in Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Feet, and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Having given testimony of all the competent and credible witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, having taught of the fallacy that there could be no resurrection, Paul now teaches of the authority of Christ. He begins by saying that Christ is risen from the dead, and Paul points out, Jesus Christ and his authority over the grave. Jesus said in John 10, 18, that no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to bring it up again. 
This command I have received from my Father. Second, Paul points out to Christ that Christ becoming that first fruits of those who have already died. At this point, the Corinthians were asking about the believers who have already went to the grave. They were living in expectation of the return of Christ. They believed that Jesus could come back at any time. Here we are in the 21st century, and the believers of the first century had this faith that Jesus could return at any time. We should, as believers in the 21st century, also walk in such faith that the Lord could return at any moment. They were concerned. They asked Paul about this. What about the believers who have not returned? Have they missed the ascension into heaven, the resurrection? And he said, no, you need to understand that Christ became the first fruits of those who have already died. Acts 26, 22 and 23 says, therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing to both the small and great, saying no other things that which the prophets and Moses said would come, that Christ would suffer, that he would be first to rise from the dead. And would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. That Jesus Christ would be the first to rise from the dead. Jesus Christ, the first fruits. Third, in Adam all die. It was because of the fall that death spread to all men. And in a similar way, eternal life now has been made available to everyone who places their faith in one man, Jesus Christ. Romans 5.17 tells us, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, speaking of Adam, much more, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Fourth, Christ being the first fruits, our salvation is not the result of our good works, but the result of Jesus' one work upon the cross. It's his death, burial, and resurrection that brings us into a relationship with God the Father. Romans 5.18 tells us, Therefore, as through one man's offense, speaking again of Adam, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Through one man's righteous act, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Christ is our champion, verses 24 through 26. Then comes the end when Jesus will deliver the kingdom to God, to God his Father. And he will put all things all rule, all authority, all power under his feet. And he will reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last of these to be destroyed will be death. Right now, salvation is available to whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, as we read in Romans 10:13. Right now, we are living in what is known as a time of grace, but one day, Jesus will put an end to all earthly rule, all authority, all power. On that day, when Jesus delivers the kingdom of God to his Father, all enemies will be placed under his feet. And this means that Jesus will have 
authority over everything and over everyone. And the last enemy to be destroyed will be that of death. Hebrews 10 verses 12 through 14 tells us, but this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered up one sacrifice for sins forever, one sacrifice for sins, has sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting until his enemies were made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. By one offering. Oh, by grace you have been saved. It's the age of grace that we find ourselves in. It means that salvation now is available to whosoever calls upon the name of Jesus Christ in life-saving faith. And this grace comes to us by way of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. This is the gospel according to the scriptures that through Christ Jesus, he has become the first fruits of those who are being saved. And now salvation is available to anyone, to whosoever places their faith in him. Today we have seen in this message, Christ, the first fruits. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 26, we have seen the gospel. And we have learned that the entirety of our faith hinges upon Jesus' sinless sacrifice. It's his death, burial, and resurrection that becomes a foundational principle of our faith. Secondly, we've seen in verses 12 through 19, the risen Christ is our hope. That our hope in Christ is not merely for this life, but also for our future eternal reward. Many years ago, I remember telling my friend, John Marcourt, some of you guys know that name. I said, if in this life, kind of like taking from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, probably without even knowing the verse, that if in this life, if only we have Christ, then this is a good life. Basically, I was trying to explain how happy I was to be a follower of Jesus Christ if it was only for this life. I no longer feel that way. One, because Scripture would deny the very thing that I said. If it's only for this life, then we are of the most people most pitiable. But I've come to realize that my hope isn't in this world any longer. I have a heavenly hope, and I have a heavenly home that will one day be mine and also one day be yours. Because Christ, the first fruits, verses 20 through 26, has made salvation available to those who place their faith in him. And it's my hope that you have realized that Jesus, the first fruits, is the savior of the world and that you have received his gift of salvation through faith in his name. And I would like to just now close in a prayer for those maybe perhaps listening on the radio, maybe you're watching on Facebook Live, maybe you're here with us today. I want to pray with you that perhaps today is a day of rededicating your life to the Lord. Perhaps today is a day where you surrender your life to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for the very first time.
And today, Lord, we just lift up those, Lord, whose hearts, they're hurting. Lord, they see the violence that's taking place in our nation. They see the deception of politicians and news media and friends and family. Lord, they see the heartache of their own life and the decisions that they have made. And Lord, they are without hope. And today they have learned in your word, in the gospel, that our hope rests upon the death of Jesus Christ, upon his burial and upon his resurrection from the grave. And today, Lord, they are crying out to you in life-saving faith, saying that I believe that there is a God and I receive his son as the savior of my life. And I desire, Lord, that I could grow in my faith, that I might go and share this faith with others. Lord, I pray that you would be with each one who has this heart's desire upon them. Even now, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.